Good afternoon, congregation. It's good to see you all here, especially if you are a visitor among us. We issue you a warm welcome. Council does have a number of announcements. They're all repeated from this morning. First of all, after being examined by consistory, Jared Bradenhoff and Lauren Vanderstoop will make public profession of their faith, the Lord willing, on June 5th in the afternoon service. Second brothers Daryl Vandenberg, Adam Vanenhoven, and Hank Vischer have been appointed to the office of elder and brother Steve Schoon to the office of deacon. If no lawful objections are brought forward, their ordination will take place, Lord willing, on June 12th in the morning service. A reminder that there will be a VBS volunteer meeting following this service and that tonight the young peoples are hoping to meet uh, and have a warm welcome at the Dykstra residence tonight. The collections today will be gathered for the work of deacons, of our deacons in the congregation and also in the broader community. Once again this afternoon, we welcome Reverend Ben Scoof from the Maranatha Community Reformed Church at Surrey to lead us in worship of our triune God. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Please, if you are able to rise for worship. God again calls us to worship with these words from Psalm 96. They speak of uh, coming into the Lord's temple and and bringing an, an offering. This, of course, in the Old Testament meant the actual temple and bringing an animal to sacrifice as an offering. But as we'll remember in our scripture text, our Lord Jesus Christ fulfills all the Old Testament. And so we come into God, when we come into God's house, it is the congregation, the people of God that are the New Testament temple. And we bring sacrifices of thankfulness and sacrifices of praise rather than actual animals. And so it reads, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And we also begin our worship by confessing our trust in the Lord, since we do not come to the Lord in our own strength. And so, congregation, from where does our help come? And receive the greeting of our triune God. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits right before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. And let us now sing as our opening song of praise also from Psalm 96. We'll sing the stanzas 1, 4, and 7.
Let's come before the Lord in prayer and ask Him for a blessing over our worship. Lord, our great God, the Lord of all the earth, we sing to you this afternoon. We bless your name. We have gathered as your people and as your temple, the the people who are being built up into the temple of the Lord and who are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we come to ascribe to you glory and strength and to ascribe to you the glory due your name. Although we confess, Lord, that in our sin we do not worship you as perfectly as we, as we ought and, and even we do not give you all the glory that is due. For you are due all praise and honor and everything that we have is yours. All of our strength, all of our success, all of our power is all thanks to you. And we are completely dependent on you as we have confessed to begin our worship. And so, Lord, we have put aside all of our daily pursuits to pause and rest and worship you, to acknowledge that you have given all to us and to praise and thank you that you are our helper. And we thank you, Lord, especially for the salvation that you have given us. And will you help us not just to learn about your salvation from your word, but also to tell of your salvation as we have sung. That we will declare your glory among the nations and your marvelous works among the peoples. And will you give us opportunities, Lord, as we go back to our lives after this worship service, to tell of others all that you have done. Whether to to those who worship you along with us, or where we can share in the many reasons for thankfulness, or, or to those who do not know you, that we will have opportunities to share the gospel and our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so will you bless us then this afternoon as we learn from your word, as we sing your praises. Will you hear the prayers that we together bring to you, our requests for help, Lord, we know that you know our needs much better even than we do. And yet you ask us to come to you. You ask us to praise you in prayer and you ask us to bring our supplications. And so this we do, knowing that just as you have asked us to pray to you, you have also promised that these prayers will not just be heard by you, but will also be answered. And you will give us everything that we need in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. In commemoration of Ascension Day, which was this past Thursday, we are looking at Lord's Day 18 from our Heidelberg Catechism this afternoon, which summarizes Scripture's teaching on Ascension Day and the meaning of it for us. And so we will read of the ascension of our Lord Jesus, as it's recorded in Luke chapter 24, and we'll also read its uh, its context. So Luke chapter 24, let's turn there together in our Bibles. Luke 
Luke chapter 24, we're beginning our reading at verse 33. Jesus has just walked with two men on the road to Emmaus. He has described for them the the teachings of the Old Testament that had spoke about him himself and interpreted the scriptures concerning himself. He has shared supper with them and then he has disappeared from their sight. And they have finally realized who he was, that, that he was in fact the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 32 describes what happens when they go to Jerusalem um, to the other disciples. So Luke chapter 24, verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And let's now sing in preparation for the sermon, one of the hymns that speaks of Christ's resurrection and um, all that it achieves, uh, Christ's ascension, sorry, and what it achieves for us. So hymn 40, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. 
And our confessions summarize scripture's teaching on the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ in Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 532 in the back of your books of praise. And so I'll read that with you now. So Lord's Day 18 asks, what do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven. And that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature, and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven, as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counter-pledge, by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. And after we have heard God's word proclaimed, we will sing the last two stanzas of hymn 40 as our song of response. Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. Boys and girls, do you ever like to watch children's movies? If you do, perhaps you've noticed that in many of these movies, something bad happens to the main child characters. Father or mother or sometimes both. Often, loving parents die And are replaced with mean ones. Or happy circumstances are swapped out for tragic circumstances. For example, a loving mother might be replaced after she dies with an evil stepmother. In some of the old fairy tales. And this is done to make a good story. Apparently, if you're having a pretty happy life in a pretty good country with both parents healthy and well, it doesn't make for a very interesting movie. But when something bad happens, like a parent dies, a child is left to fend for themselves, to look out for things, to to fight trouble. And now we have an interesting movie. What's going to happen to this poor child? How will they survive? What are they going to do with all this trouble? And it almost seems like 
this sort of situation in our text as the Lord Jesus is leaving his disciples. The disciples aren't children. They're grown men. But their faith is certainly at a childlike stage. And like as children, we depend on our parents to look after us. The disciples have come to depend on the Lord Jesus to look after them. Suddenly, tragically, earlier, a month or so ago, Jesus was taken from them. But against all hope, he was raised from the dead. But then, 40 days later, suddenly Jesus is gone again. And now we wonder, what will they do? Because now he's... Not coming back, at least no time soon. How will the disciples survive without Jesus? Well, thankfully, unlike those Disney characters whose parents are taken from them without warning and much too soon, Jesus left at the right time. And he did not leave them without warning and and without help. In fact, he left them with all that they would need to go on after he was gone. In fact, as he tells them elsewhere, it is for their benefit that he goes away. And so we'll see that this afternoon. And we'll see how this applies not just to the the 11 disciples, but to all of us in our lives. We'll see how the ascended Lord leaves us with a task and with help. And we'll see those two things first, the task and and the helper that our Lord Jesus leaves us with. And then we'll see the results of those things, the, the blessing of our Lord Jesus and the joy that he leaves us with. So firstly, the task that the Lord Jesus leaves us. Before Jesus goes into heaven, he gives his disciples a task. And it's not a small task. It's it's an unbelievably huge task. Verse uh, 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. How on earth can the disciples be expected to carry out such an enormous task? How can we today, who have the same task, even still be expected to carry it out? Well, Jesus doesn't leave the disciples without help because he gives them instructions first. Earlier in the chapter, we, we didn't read it, but when Jesus was talking to the men from Emmaus, he called them foolish ones, verse 25. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The men from Emmaus, they they didn't understand from the scriptures about Jesus, about how he had to suffer, how he had to die and rise again and enter into glory. But it's not just the two men from Emmaus, it's all the disciples. Because when Jesus appears to all of them in verse 36, we read that they are startled and frightened thinking that they saw a ghost. And Jesus rebukes them for being troubled and questions why doubts are arising in their minds. They ought to know better. They ought to be expecting Jesus to be there. His death and his resurrection was not a new teaching for them. Jesus says in verse 44, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And so before Jesus can leave and before the disciples can carry out the task that they have been given to to proclaim the gospel to all the nations, they need to understand it themselves. They need to understand, as verse 44 says, that everything written about Jesus in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And so verse 45 speaks of how Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And when we read that, we might think of Jesus doing something miraculous to them, tapping them on the head or something like that, which suddenly their, their brains were expanded and they could understand what they hadn't seen before. But most likely what is meant by Jesus opening their, their minds is simply that he, he taught them. That's what he says in verse 46. He teaches them, it is, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name. Jesus' point is, he, is that these things are understandable, should have been understandable to them, not because their minds ought to have been bigger or they ought to have been smarter, but they ought to have read the scriptures and seen it prophesied in the Old Testament. And that Hebrew Old Testament is divided into three sections. The Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. The Prophets, which are, are all, the, all the many prophecies. And uh, the Writings, the, the other books left over. The Psalms and Proverbs and Chronicles and things like that. And so when Jesus says that the Law of Moses, the Prophets and the Psalms are, must be fulfilled and are written about Jesus, he is saying that all the scriptures testify about me. And the disciples ought to have understood it before, but even, but though they didn't, they at least now need to grasp this before they can go out into the world. And so all the sacrifices and ceremonies of, of the law of Moses pointed to Christ, the, the Lamb of God sacrificed once for all to take away the sins of the world. All the prophets looked to Jesus and spoke about Him and about the need for Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the embodiment of the wisdom literature, all the, all the proverbs and the songs. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. We often enjoy reading the Old Testament stories because they're very interesting. And they, and they teach us what good Christian behavior looks like and, and what bad Christian behavior looks like. But the Old Testament is not given to us just to see people as a, as a role model, whether good or bad. The Old Testament is given to us to point to Christ as our only true role model. We often like to read the Psalms because the Psalms speak about the, the different situations in life that we are familiar with. There are Psalms of joy for when we rejoice. There are, are Psalms of mourning for, for when we are mourning. There are Psalms, psalms of, of confusion from, for when we are confused. But the Psalms are not just given to us so that we can identify with the psalmist. The Psalms point to Jesus Christ. The only one who can save us from our despair and, and our grief. And the only one in whom our joy has any meaning. The Proverbs don't just teach us how to live an, an outwardly righteous life. But they point to Christ. The only one who can keep them perfectly. And so Christ goes through the Old Testament. And explains these things to the disciples so that they, they can understand this. They will have a, a fuller understanding when the Holy Spirit comes. But even now they can begin to see how everything that has happened to Jesus was from the scriptures. And was part of God's plan. The fact that Christ would, would suffer as he begins his explanation in verse 46. It's clearly prophesied in many Psalms in Isaiah 53. The fact that he would rise again from the dead on the third day. Do you know where this is prophesied? Jesus says in verse 46 that this is written about him in the Old Testament. Well, perhaps you don't, but Peter 
was certainly listening well. Because by Pentecost, he was able to preach this to the crowds as he proclaims from Psalm 16. David said about Jesus, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. David, says Peter in Acts 2, is preaching about Jesus. How do we know? Well, because he wasn't speaking about himself, because he certainly did die, and his body did decay. In fact, says Peter, you can go and find his tomb, right, in this very city in which I am speaking. And so Peter gives us an example of how the Old Testament speaks of Christ. It doesn't mention him by name. It's not immediately apparent from the Old Testament context. But when you know about Christ, and when you're, you're looking for him in the Old Testament, you can see what he has done. And when your minds especially are filled with the Holy Spirit, it opens up the scriptures in a new way. And so this is also then true of us. It's not just the disciples who had to learn this. We also, as we read the scriptures, we ought to be asking ourselves, how does this passage talk about Christ? How does it reveal our sin and show our need for Jesus? How does Christ fulfill this passage for us in a way that we are not able to because of our sins? And in the next verse, verse 47, Jesus speaks not just about what the Old Testament says, but about the key of the disciples' future preaching. The main thing that they are going to be preaching about is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And repentance was a key theme of Jesus, and even before Jesus, the John the Baptist's preaching. Repentance is necessary for Israel to receive her Messiah, and because of the nearness of the kingdom of God. God's, God's nearness and, and the work of Jesus Christ is not for everyone in the entire world. It was not for every single Jew. It was only for those who would repent. Repentance leads to the forgiveness of sins, Jesus says in verse 47. And that's also then what much of the Old Testament teaches us about. All those sacrifices in the law of Moses pointed to our sins and our need for someone to die for us as as the only way to salvation because we are sinners. All those psalms that, that speak about the sins of the psalmist and his confession and how God has saved him from his sins. So much of the Old Testament reveals to us so very clearly our wickedness and our sin and points to our need for Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the only way for our sins to be forgiven. And so we are called to repent of our sins. And we are called to bring this message as we proclaim the gospel. It's all about repentance, calling on people to recognize their sins, be ashamed of them, and find their salvation in Jesus Christ. And having done so, says verse 47, they will find forgiveness of their sins. And this too, of course, is fulfilled in the Old Testament. The whole point of bringing sacrifices was not just so that the people could feel sorry for their sins. It was to symbolize that their sins were taken from them and placed on the head of that animal, and the animal was killed for their sins. And this too, of course, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Because of Christ's atonement, all of our sins are taken away once for all. And so whenever we or anyone comes to God in repentance, we will be forgiven of our sins in Christ. And this preaching will be the task of his disciples. You are witnesses of these things, says verse 48. More than anyone else, the disciples have seen the Old Testament fulfilled before their very eyes. And now that they have their eyes open, they can share this with the world. Peter began this with his sermon on Acts 2. And the other disciples and the other apostles and others after them will travel around the world preaching to near and far off nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And this is an ongoing task too. The disciples did their best to travel around the world. But they did not reach everywhere in the world in their lifetime. And even if they had, every new generation that comes along will find more people who do not know about Christ. And so this task continues today to be Jesus' witnesses. We are not direct witnesses. We have not seen Jesus. We did not witness his crucifixion or or his resurrection as they did. But we have eyes of faith by the Holy Spirit. And so we have the task to support mission work around the world, evangelism in our own city, the preaching of the gospel in our own congregation, but also to look for opportunities to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to those around us. This is a great task for the disciples and for us. And how will they be able to carry out this task? Well, they will only be able to do so with help. And that's our second point, the helper Jesus promised after he has ascended. In verse 49, Jesus tells them, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. And by this, he means the promised Holy Spirit. Why do they need the Holy Spirit? Well, the last part of verse 49 tells us, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit will give them even more understanding to to see the Scriptures and how they are fulfilled in Christ. But He will also give them power. They will not be able to be effective witnesses of Jesus Christ, converting people by their message, unless they have divine power working through them. Human power alone is not enough. You can be the most well-spoken person in the world, but you will convince no one about the Gospel if the Holy Spirit is not working. And this too, Jesus says, is promised. Promised in the Old Testament as well. Many passages speak of the Holy Spirit coming. Again, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 as the Holy Spirit is poured out to find the prophecy of Joel quoted by Peter in his sermon about how the Holy Spirit will be poured out and all of God's people will be prophets. Every single Christian still today is a prophet as we confess in Lord's A12. We are all called to, to witness of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will give the disciples courage to be Jesus' witnesses. Even if they meet with persecutions, with hatred, with floggings and more. The Holy Spirit will give the disciples wisdom to know the right words to say. And how to defend the gospel in the face of opposition and unbelief. The Holy Spirit will give them everything that they need to be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
And without the Holy Spirit, they won't be able to do any of it. And so he warns them in verse 49 to stay in the city. Don't start this work until the Holy Spirit comes. And still today, the Holy Spirit is somewhat unappreciated, I suspect, by many Christians. If you'd asked many Christians, if I'd ask you whether you'd prefer Jesus Christ to be here with you on earth or the Holy Spirit, many of us may want to choose that the Lord Jesus would be here with us. But that is in a sense because we don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit and all that he does for us. And so we often misunderstand the importance of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ needed to ascend into heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit down to us. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we are richly blessed. For any of us to be faithful, for any of us to understand the scriptures, for any of us to be effective in witnessing for Jesus Christ amongst our family and and friends and neighbors, we need the Holy Spirit. He is the power behind it all, behind our faith, behind our words, behind everything. Jesus describes the coming of the Holy Spirit as being clothed with power from on high. So all of us have the same Holy Spirit that the disciples received. And so all of us have power from on high. And he uses an interesting word. He says that we are clothed with power. The expression shows the the closeness of us and the Holy Spirit. Nothing comes between the Holy Spirit and us. And it shows the Holy Spirit's importance. We, we wear clothes throughout our life. And so we must always be conscious of the Holy Spirit who is in us. And the scriptures warn us then not to take the Holy Spirit for granted. But to pray to God for the help of his Holy Spirit. And to depend on the Holy Spirit for the power and the strength to do our task. By His power alone, we have the strength to repent, to turn from our sins, acknowledge our unworthiness, and find forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. And so it is good that each year we remember Christ's ascension. And by remembering Christ's ascension, we remember to be thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is because the Holy Spirit Because of the Holy Spirit, that it is for our good that Christ went away. Because now we have all been clothed with power from on high. And that takes us to our third point. The blessing that our Lord Jesus leaves us with. Other passages in Scripture tell us that there is 40 days between when Christ rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven. Luke doesn't mention any of that though. After Jesus spoke to the disciples on the night of his resurrection, he immediately in verse 50 jumps to the ascension, skipping over those 40 days and anything else that Jesus said or did in that time. Luke is is eager, it seems, to get to the fulfillment of what Jesus has said and to the coming of the Helper so that he can tell the rest of of the story, all that happened by the power of the Holy Spirit as the disciples carried out Christ's task. They go out, says verse 50, to Bethany, a very familiar spot for the disciples. 
And there, Jesus lifts up his hands and blesses them. And no doubt this would not have been unusual. At least at first. Jesus would have often, I am sure, blessed his disciples. A particular a, a, a blessing that Jesus gave them is recorded in verse 36, where Jesus first stands among his disciples and says, Peace to you. This is a, a standard sort of blessing. But there is something special about Jesus blessing his disciples after the resurrection. When he says, peace to you, this is the first time that the disciples can begin to grasp what this really means. Now and forever, we truly do have peace with God. There is no more, there is no longer anything that separates us from God, that causes distance between us, that causes animosity between God and us, because Jesus has now died for our sins on the cross and risen again for our blessing. And so we only have God's favor and love and blessing forever. No more anger, wrath, punishment hangs over us ever again. And boys and girls, perhaps... You've at times been very naughty at home and and your mom has said something like, just wait till your dad comes home and then you will receive your punishment. Happened a couple times in my life. And you have to wait for your punishment all day. And sometimes the, the waiting and the guilt and the broken relationship and the fear is is much worse than the actual punishment when it comes. Well, before Jesus had, had died on the cross and risen again, it was almost like that. There was no forgiveness of sins. There was, there was nothing to bridge the relationship between us and God. The sacrifices in the Old Testament, they, they pointed to Christ. They, they were a sign of what was to come. The sins of the people still hung over them, as, as Hebrews says. Their, their guilt was never completely washed away. But now that Jesus has died and risen again, our sin, our guilt, our fear, all of it is gone forever. We have only God's love and warmth to revel in. And so Jesus blesses his disciples with peace. Truly meaning it, of course, as he always did, but this time with, with added meaning, because it is, it is fulfilled in him. It is forever true in him. But this blessing in verse 50 is a unique blessing the disciples quickly learned. Because as Jesus was blessing them, it says, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And so in a sense, we could say that this blessing of Jesus, it never ended. For all we know, Jesus was continuing to bless his disciples once he had left their sight. And he blessed them forever to the end of their days. And in fact, that is exactly what Jesus was doing. Because we hear this same blessing from Jesus every Sunday as we open our worship service. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus, so Jesus' blessing never runs out. He is, he is blessing us forever. And His blessing is also infinite in its extent. As Jesus ascended, His arms raised in blessing covered the entire earth. So there is nowhere that you can go in this earth that the grace and peace 
of Jesus Christ cannot reach you. The far side of the sea, the very depths of the grave, nothing can separate you from Christ's blessing and from the peace of God that he blesses you with. That's the glory of Christ's ascension. And that brings us to our last point, the joy of the disciples. The disciples, says verse 53, we might expect were heartbroken. Jesus Christ had left them forever and they were never going to see him again. Boys and girls, is that what it says? No, it says the opposite. It says they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We see now that they've begun to understand. They've begun to understand that it is for their good that Jesus has gone away. They've begun to understand how everything that Jesus has said and done has been prophesied and fulfilled. They're eagerly waiting for the promised Holy Spirit and for their task to begin. And they understand that Jesus' never-ending blessing is upon them. And so they are filled with joy. Their task will be difficult. As Jesus warns elsewhere, they'll be handed over to local councils. They'll be flogged in the synagogues. They'll be arrested by the governors and the kings of the Gentiles. But it is also an awesome task, one with of great privilege, to declare the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to give hope to a lost world, to give the only true healing to broken people. No possible task could be greater or more important. And the suffering and the hardship that you may receive is so worth it. It's a daunting task and would be impossible for any person to do on their own. But with the Holy Spirit, the power of God, there is nothing to fear. And so Jesus tells his disciples, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And that doesn't mean it will be easy for the disciples. There will be much anguish and trouble. But the Holy Spirit will use their words to achieve His purpose. And so the, the, the wonderful joy for us still today is that the task of the disciples, the, the Holy Spirit poured out on the disciples and the the blessing of Jesus Christ is not restricted to the apostles or even just to the ministers and the office bearers in the church. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same blessing of Jesus Christ on us. And we all, in great or small ways, have the same task to witness of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And so this too can fill us with the same joy of the Holy Spirit. We also do not mourn that our Lord Jesus Christ has gone from us because we know that it is for our good. And so whatever job or task you have, do it all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever happens in your life, know that the blessing of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ is upon you. And look for opportunities to witness of Jesus Christ, to share the hope that you have and the joy that you have through Christ. Amen. Let us now rise if we are able and sing in response hymn 40, stanzas 4 and 5.
Matthew chapter 10, Jesus speaks of, of confessing his name and testifying about him to others. And he gives us a promise and a warning. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father is in heaven, who is in heaven. And so he, he promises us that when we acknowledge him, God, our Father, will bless us. And, and we can acknowledge and witness of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of our life, but we do so in a, in a very public and communal way when we confess our faith with our brothers and sisters in the congregation. And so let us do so this afternoon by confessing our faith in the as summarizing the Apostles' Creed, and we'll do so by singing it with hymn number one. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll remember Brother Joe Paul. His brother passed away in Iraq uh, about a week ago, and so we'll pray for comfort for uh, our brother, also because uh, his, his brother, being Muslim, was not a believer. 
And so, and we'll also pray for Joe himself, who continues to to suffer pretty heavily from uh, from symptoms related to his COVID, suffering from COVID. And so, we'll pray that the Lord will continue to work healing for him too. So, let us pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for the comfort that we have from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That in Christ, even the fact that our Lord is no longer with us on earth is a comfort and a blessing for us. We have seen how everything that our Lord Jesus Christ did and said was prophesied about in the Old Testament and was fulfilled in his life. And we can see how you worked all things in history so that Jesus could come, could suffer and die and be raised again on the third day. And that this was all for us. So that repentance and forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed in his name. And so, Lord, we pray for each one of us that you will Reveal to us our sins, that you will bring us to repentance, acknowledging our fault and our wrongdoing before you. And that when we repent, we will find forgiveness of all of our sins in Jesus Christ. But we have also seen how this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed. There is a world around us of sinful people who must repent if they also want to receive forgiveness of their sins and eternal life with you. And so we pray that you will help us to be your witnesses and Christ's witnesses. That you will give us opportunities in our daily life to share the gospel. That people will ask us the reason for the hope that we have and we will be ready with an answer. We also pray for the ministry of the church, which is the greatest way in which the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Will you grant that many unbelievers will come to worship with us and and hear about this gospel? Will you give us opportunities to speak to our neighbors, to, to invite our loved ones to church with us so that they too can hear about the message of Jesus Christ? And we thank you, Lord, that we not we do not do this task whether we are office bearers, whether we are believers sharing the gospel, we do not do it alone. But we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit. We know that it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the faith to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That it is the Holy Spirit who must work through us for our words to have any effect. And so, Lord, as we have family members, neighbors, loved ones, friends who do not know you? Will you give us the opportunity to share the gospel with them? And will you work in their hearts through the Holy Spirit that you will use us as your instruments to bring them to faith, to repentance and forgiveness of sins? And we thank you, Lord, for the comfort that we have that our Lord Jesus Christ, as he left us, was blessing us and that he continues to bless us still with peace and love and joy through His work and through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We thank You that in Christ we have peace with You. Our sin which caused animosity and anger and punishment to 
come between us and you is all gone and washed away. And so the way to you is clear through Christ. And we, instead of being under your wrath, are under your love and favor and grace always. And we pray that that Lord will fill us with joy. As Christians, life is not easy. In fact, sometimes as Christians, our life is even more difficult because those around us, they hate us and the world is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. And yet, through all the difficulties and struggles, we have joy, knowing that our eternal hope is in Christ. And that one day Christ will return and take us to himself. What a comfort, Lord, we have in all of these promises. And we thank you for our brother Joe Paul, that he knows these promises, that he is comforted in them. And so we pray for our brother as he is suffering, as he is sick, as he is not able to do his regular work, as he suffers from various symptoms and and tiredness. We ask that you will help him to, to hold on to you, knowing that you are holding on to him, that you are taking care of him even through this time of sickness. But especially we pray that you will bless the doctors who are running tests, that they will be able to get to the bottom of his sufferings and sicknesses and that effective treatment may be found so that our brother may be healed, restored to his full strength again and be able to take up his work and and all that he is called to do in his regular life. We also pray for our brother as he mourns the loss of his brother in Iraq. It is so very difficult to be estranged from his family, especially when it is by his religion and by his faith. And we see here the the example of what our Lord Jesus Christ warned us. That those around us will hate us for believing in you. And our brother Paul experiences this more than most of us. And so we, we pray that you will comfort our brother. We also pray that you will give him opportunities, if that is ever your will to be able to share the gospel and the hope that he has with his family. And we pray that this loss might lead them to question and to find the true hope and the only comfort that there is in life and in death in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we we pray for all of us then, Lord, as we go back to our lives and our regular tasks tomorrow. Will Will you take care of us? Will you give us strength and ability to do our work well to your honor and glory and for your praise and thankfulness for the salvation we have in Christ. In our ascended Lord Jesus, then we pray this. Amen. Your offering will now be collected by the deacons for their work amongst the needy. And afterwards, we will sing of the greatest blessing of our Lord's ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit and his work in us. From him, 47 stanzas 1 and 4.
Congregation, receive now the blessing of our triune God and go to your homes in peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.